0: Direct your attention now to the Word of God, to our Scripture reading. And I'm telling you, we go from one extreme to the other. We've had these narratives that go on for chapter after chapter out of 1 and 2 Samuel, and now we come up here and we have one verse. But let's pay attention to it. This is our Scripture reading for the morning. 2 Corinthians 13, the very last verse of that letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ... And the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word of the Lord. Thanks, thanks. Amen. You may be seated. That sounded so much like a benediction, I was afraid that somebody would just go ahead and leave when we, when we finish. And that's exactly what it is. We're now looking at our summer series, which will go about a dozen weeks through the summer, and we'll have several of our pastors preaching, not in this hour. They found out that was the only pastor on staff that gets up at four in the morning about 10 or 12 years ago, and they gave me this assignment, which I love every minute of it. But in the other services at 9, 30, and 11 throughout the summer, we'll be having uh, most of our pastors, I believe all of them, preaching. uh, And we're looking at a series of benedictions and prayers, and uh, what else is it? I forgot. It's in, it's in the text. Doxologies. Yeah, doxologies. Uh, that's what it's good for not having any notes. Uh, doxologies are the things that we'll be looking at. Now these are familiar things to Christians, we think. But there are three distinct things, but they're, each are found all throughout the Scriptures. Anything that's found in the Old Testament, we call it prophetic. So there are prophet, prophetic doxologies and benedictions and prayers. Prayed by the prophets, Abraham and Daniel and and David and others. Prophetic doxologies, benedictions and prayers. But then in the New Testament, things that we find there we call apostolic. That is, it is the things that under the inspiration of the Spirit are given to us by the apostles. Apostolic is a technical term. The apostles were those men that were specifically appointed and called by Christ for the very purpose of establishing the Christian faith in the earth. The Scriptures say that we are, our faith is built upon the prophets and the apostles. They are foundational. And the Lord used those men to preach the gospel, to give us the Holy Scriptures to instruct us in righteousness and holiness, to order the churches, and to structure the kingdom of God while it is in this phase, that is an inter-advental phase, the phase between the advents of Christ, the first coming of Christ, to Bethlehem and to the cross, and the return of Christ, the second coming to the earth, and then the new heavens and the new earth. So anything that's apostolic is that which is given to us by the apostles and recorded in what we think of as the New Testament. And that's what we look at this morning. We look at an apostolic benediction. Now the other two, we'll talk a little more about them when we get there, but a doxology is a word of praise. dox, means to glorify and to praise. And logos is a word concerning or a philosophy of, or the reasons of, the logic of, praise. And there are doxologies in both the Old and the New Testaments, both prophetic and apostolic. Then there are prayers. Prayers are petitions, pleas. Cries, asking, begging, beseeching, imploring, calling upon the Lord in prayer for some divine intervention or some divine benefit. And that word benefit brings us to the thing we're looking at this morning. That's a benediction. Once again, two Latin words. I use a lot of Latin because... I'm trying to compensate for that C that I made in fourth semester Latin. I started out with straight A's in Latin, but it got harder and harder, and I just got more and more over my head. And by the time I got to my fourth semester, I was happy to have a C, glad to receive a C in Latin. So I compensate by using a lot of Latin words when I preach, and people think I know Latin. But benediction is beni, which means good. And diction, which means to speak. So to speak good, to say good things, is a benediction. But a benediction is to more than just say something pleasant and nice and good, like have a nice day. It's to speak of benefits. That is the things that God, once again, two Latin words, the word for good and the word for perform. To benefit is to do something good for somebody. And the Old Testament implores us, Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's a doxology. And forget not all His benefits. That's a benediction. And the benediction that we have before us is an apostolic benediction, one of several, one that we use from time to time here as our benediction on Sunday. It is the very last verse of the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he had a lot of correspondence with the Corinthian church maybe more than is recorded for all we know it seems like there might have been another letter in there somewhere but Paul had established that church as an apostle when he got to Corinth after he'd been to Athens, after he'd been to Macedonia in his travels in his second missionary journey And there, with that church, he had a lot of correspondence and probably a few visitations back and forth because he wrote from Ephesus and he would go back and forth. He had his Ephesian ministry and then he would cross the Aegean, which wasn't a very uh, long boat ride actually in those days considering uh, the conditions, and would go over to Corinth and would send them others to minister to them there as well. And they had the benefit of having Apollos and some of the other more gifted Apostles and emissaries in the early church. So the Corinthian church was aware of God's benefits. So when this benediction is pronounced upon them at the end of this final letter, Paul is saying to them, forget not the benefits of the Lord. And he classifies them along a Trinitarian classification. A Father, Son, and Spirit. The triune God. One divine essence. Co-eternal alike in the same in every way. Of the same substance and essence. but three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And he lays out the benediction here according to that Trinitarian formula. The word Trinity is never used in the Bible. You know that. But the Trinitarian notion, the idea, the concept is all through Scripture. Even starting in the beginning where it says, let us make man three in one. So Paul is giving them this benediction. And it is not without context. There's a lot of context to this. But let me just mention one thing. which is verse 14. But in verse 5 of this same chapter as Paul is winding up his letter and he's going to give them uh, the benediction at the end. Immediately prior to that, he gives them some, some greetings in verses 11 and 12. But then in verse 5, he has given them an admonition. He's given them an assignment. And this is your assignment this morning as I briefly sketch through this benediction Your assignment is to do what Paul told them to do in chapter, I mean, in verse 5 of this very last chapter. Listen to what Paul says to them. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless. Indeed, you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do as we sketch through this benediction this morning. I want you to examine yourselves. Examine yourself. Now, not your neighbor, not your wife, not your husband, not your boss, not the preacher, this time examine yourselves just ask yourself some honest reflective good spiritual questions and see how you do and Paul's hope is that you will not fail your own test your own examination but if you do fall short in your examination Listen to the Gospel. Hear the words of the Gospel for your remedy. If you fail the test, it could be in the first instance you're still in your sins. You're dead in trespasses and in sin. You're lost. You're without God. You're without hope. You've got plenty of religion, but you just don't have the Lord. Paul says here, Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Glory is our final state, our state of glorification. Finally making it through. We're not not in the state of glory yet. We're in the state of grace. By God's grace, we are. But examine yourself and see if you're in Christ, if Christ is in you. And if you fear as you examine yourself that you're not, then hear the Gospel. There's a divine necessity laid upon you. You must be born again. So you better completely convert to a prayer. Pray that God will give you The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart to bring you from death to life, to wash you clean, to renew you, to make you what you ought to be. The Lord says that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him. You can't bring yourself from death to life, but the Spirit of God can. And when you examine yourself and find it, that's what you need. That's the remedy. The the malady is death and depravity and devastation and doom. The remedy is the enlivening of the Spirit of God to regenerate your dead soul and to bring you alive spiritually. It could be that you're in Christ and you know it. But you just haven't been bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the point of a benediction is to count the benefits. And let's just sketch them for just a moment, if you will. What is the benefit of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul summarizes it in the same letter. He says in chapter 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he uses that same phraseology. Lord Jesus Christ. I trust all of you know that those are Names for Christ, they're used interchangeably in titles, but they don't mean exactly the same thing. Lord means master, sovereign. The kurios is the the Caesar, the sovereign master. Lord, He is that. Is He that in your life? Jesus is a human name, but it means Savior. It's the name Yeshua or Joshua, or Savior, Rescuer, Deliverer. Do you know Christ to be Jesus? The angel said you'll call His name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. Is He Jesus to you? Is He your Savior? And Christ, Christ is the word Christos, the word Messiah from the Old Testament. It means the Anointed One, the One that God has specifically given the task of saving, ruling, reigning. Christ is the name that is above every name. He is the one that's high and lifted up. Today's Ascension Sunday and it's the day we talk about when when He was enthroned on high and seated at the right hand of the Father. So Paul uses that same terminology in chapter chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ how that though He was rich that He had all the splendors of glory and all the divine attributes and the free exercise of all of them he was rich in every sense, he was the heir of the universe. That's the way the scripture puts it. That's, that's pretty rich. He, he owns it all. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became your sakes, on your behalf, for you, he became poor. That is, he div- divested himself of all of that and came in humanity while maintaining his deity. He, in his humanity, took on our predicament and remedied remedied every malady of our sinful condition. In order that, you through His poverty, through His sacrifice, through His giving up, through His emptying, through His lowering of Himself and humbling of Himself, even to become obedient unto death, through that, you might be rich. How rich? being a co-heir with the one who owns the universe. Do you know the benefits of Christ as your Lord, your Savior, and your King? Have those benefits been Enhanced in your life by a continual work of the Lord in your life. Well, let's move to the second part of the benediction. I think that's enough right there. (laughs) Amen. But there's a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more. It says, The love of God. The love of God. The Bible lets us know that from the very beginning God is love. God operates on a superior motive of love. The emotive force in the will of God harnessing the power of God which is infinite moves toward an end of love. I taught in one of the Sunday school classes a couple of weeks ago on the sovereignty of God using Romans 9, and when I got through, got a lot of comments from that, when I got through, some folks talked about different aspects of that, one person said to me, you know, you talk so much about God being sovereign, and us submitting to God, and God's will being absolutely unassailable, and on and on, he said, he said, a good Muslim would believe that. I thought, do you think sovereignty... In the hands of Allah, if there is such a God, is the same as sovereignty in the hands of the Lord God Almighty? The thing that's the difference is the person. It's God. There's no love in Allah. There's no sacrifice in Allah. There may be a notion of power, there may be a notion of justice, there may be a notion of judgment, there may be a notion of any number of theological notions, but there's no understanding of the law. No one is like God Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that's revealed to us in Scripture. Even in the Old Testament, before God ever got the law written down and got the final period on the paragraph Of the Decalogue, He let us know that God is compassionate and loving and merciful. There's no more. Oh, love of God. How vast and far. How marvelous. But I'm here to tell you, I wouldn't be a gospel preacher if I didn't tell you, that the love of God is not amorphous all over all the world in some generalized way like mayonnaise spread upon a a slice of bread. The love of God is focused like a laser beam in His Son, Jesus Christ. And The only way to participate in the saving love of God, the redeeming and the glorifying love of God, is to come to Christ. There's no other place. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that the one believing in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you're looking to not perish outside of Christ, don't count on the love of God to be there. The wrath of God abides on the person who is not in Christ. He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. If you want to find the love of God, you've got to find it in Christ. You've got to come to Christ in repentance and faith. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation, the means of forgiveness for our sins. God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is the love of God a benefit in your life? Do you know the love of God? There's an old gospel song, until you've known the love of God, you know nothing until you know the love of God. Do you know the love of God? One of the ways you can check, the Bible tells us, is you can give yourself an examination and you can ask yourself the question, do I love the brethren? Do I love other Christians? Do I love God with all my heart? And you you know the list of questions. I'm not talking to people this morning that don't know the Bible. But did you know knowledge of the Bible won't get you into heaven? Not even a belief in God. The devils believe. And they tremble. they got more respect for God than most of us do but they're still condemned. Let's don't find ourselves in that place. Well, we must hurry on. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that fellowship? Do you know what it is to be, first of all, born of the Spirit of God? To be quickened in your soul? To have a new heart? Have what's called it in the first instance that it's ever referred to in the scriptures, the circumcision of the heart. Having your heart transplanted, the old stony heart taken out, and a heart of flesh, a living, beating, vibrant heart put in, spiritually speaking. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Are you born of the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit? That is, are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you walking in step with the Spirit? Are you listening to the voice of the Spirit in the Holy Scriptures as He speaks through those inspired writings of the prophets and the apostles? Are you led by the Spirit? Are you led by your own ideas and notions? your own ambitions, your own desires? Or even worse, are you pushed around by circumstances and by others? Do you live a life that can be called spiritual, genuinely spiritual in the sense that it is of the Spirit of God, the very divine Spirit? Does the Spirit bear witness in your life that you are a child of God? That may be my final question. Are you a child of God? When the benediction is pronounced, it says the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with God with us. That's the the covenant promise. I will be with my people. I'll be with you till the end of the age. Where I am there you may be also. It's, It's this association, this close intimate connection. If the Lord is with us on the mountain and in the valley during the day, during the night, when we're up and when we're down, He's with us when we know that He's with us. In sweet communion, He's with us when we think He is far away as the furthest star. He's still with us. Fellowship of the Spirit, be with. And I love the way Paul ends so many of his phrases with the word y'all. With you all. 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 God is not willing that any should perish, but the all should come to repentance. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you've not come to Him, you're without excuse. There's no reason for you not to. Today is the day for you to begin to see in your life the benefits of this benediction.